Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, good afternoon, everybody. We're here for another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. And uh, given that uh, both Todd and I are uh, animal lovers, we have a rather interesting show today. And uh, how are you doing here, Todd, today? I'm doing okay, especially since, for a change, this is going to be a good news show with nothing but happy endings all around, at least for the passengers and the crew. Yes, that's always that's always uh, a good thing. You know, we can build another airplane, but when there's passengers or, or, or animals on board, it's good that they survive and don't get injured and so on and so on. So makes it makes things a lot easier. So I'll let you explain to it since you you uh, discovered this one. Yes, indeed, this happened. Roughly uh, five days before we did this broadcast, so there's very little official word from the NTSB or the FAA on this one. But in short, there was a cargo flight from New Orleans going to the Milwaukee area, which has a, as, as its cargo 53 rescue dogs going to various uh, animal shelter organizations in the Milwaukee area. It was a fairly poor weather at the time, low ceilings around 500 feet, visibility well under a mile, and the aircraft crashed on the extended center line of the uh, runway, about four miles from the uh, runway threshold in a golf course and crashed in such a way where it hit the ground. Both wings were sheared off outboard of the engine. It came to a stop on one of the fairways. There was about 300 gallons of jet fuel leaking all over the place. There was no post-crash fire. And rescuers as well as staff at the golf course immediately got to the airplane, got everybody out. Uh, three of the dogs and the three... Uh, crew members had minor injuries. The other 50 dogs were uninjured. And we're happy to report that uh, many of them have already been adopted, three of whom were adopted by first responders who rescued them from the aircraft. And that is a good story. That is a good story today with, with uh, so many areas of the country finding themselves in distress because of Mother Nature and all the storms and flooding and all the other things that are occurring that the uh, animals that are end up being strays, they may have been pets and they may have been separated. They weren't uh, chipped. So nobody knows who the owners were and there's an awful lot of them. So it is, it is really good that, that uh, people are willing to accept these dogs into their lives. And some of the audience might think, is it something that's normal for dogs to be transported by air or otherwise from one part of the country to the other be adopted? 
well, I'm not going to go into great detail, but uh, getting an animal, adopting an animal or, or buying one at a pet store isn't what it was 20 or 30 years ago. In fact, it's fairly restricted where you can get animals these days. Used to be your average pet store would have them for sale. That's not the case with dogs and cats for the most part anymore. And there's been a huge crackdown on um, people who are breeding indiscriminately dogs and cats for the pet market. So a lot of folks, myself included, have to go through fairly formal procedures to get a dog or a cat. And in our case, and we'll introduce you to uh, my dog here, Carol. This is Gidget. She is a rescue animal who we got from an organization in Houston, Houston Street Dogs. And five years ago, we uh, adopted her and she was flown up to where we are in Boston in an airliner. It was a, a United Airlines flight nonstop from uh, Houston. So we were, uh, of course, nervous about the flight and all, but it was a larger aircraft. She was treated well and there was no problems with that. And in this case, the accident aircraft was a smaller aircraft a Fairchild Metroliner, which was a common 19-seat type commuter aircraft that was in wide use in passenger service years ago. It's uh, relegated primarily to cargo flights now. And this aircraft was uh, built in 1985. And again, as we explained before, and we'll show you in the picture that we're putting on the screen for the video version of this, uh, this aircraft uh, actually survived fairly intact. The fuselage was intact, even though both wings were torn off. And of course, all the uh, dogs survived. And looking at some of the pictures of the accident flight, it looked as though many of the dogs were being carried in something that looked like this. This is the pet carrier that Gidget came in. And as you can see, it's fairly solid construction. And the ones in the accident we're talking about today, some of the crates were damaged and they were thrown around a bit in the fuselage but none of them were uh, damaged in such a way to cause more than minor injury to the dogs on board. And that's good all around. And this is a testament to the fact that you just can't put animals randomly in an aircraft. There are rules involved. And in this case, uh, fortunately, those rules were followed. But as far as why this aircraft crashed, there's very little official information right now. Uh, the NTSB and the FAA have not released any formal details about the aircraft. So we don't know if the aircraft had any kind of malfunction or performance issues before uh, crashing. But we do know this. The weather reports at the time of the accident uh, showed that there was fairly limited visibility. Ceiling was about 500 feet and forward visibility was under a mile, under a statute mile. And where this event occurred, was roughly four nautical miles from the approach end of the runway. And we're even presuming that this was the runway they were going to because of the winds at the time would have favored this particular one ray, one runway rather at this airport. It was a single airport, uh, single runway airport. And this would have been the logical place for them to land. Looking at the uh, approach charts for this, there are two uh, instrument approaches, one an RNAV approach and one an ILS or localizer approach which they were very likely using, both of which had a final approach fix that would have been about 900 feet above ground level, roughly at the same point of the accident. And by the way, the accident location was just off the uh, extended center line of the runway, fairly close to where the final approach fix would have been. So in theory, had this aircraft been on the glide path, 
it would have been about 900 feet above the ground at the point where it crashed. Now, we're not going to speculate as to why they were below 900 feet in AGL, but they were below 900 feet AGL because the aircraft obviously touched down. But fortunately, like we said before, they happened to touch down in a place that was a golf course, even though this was a fairly built up area. So they were able to put the aircraft away from populated areas, and that's good. Yes, and looking at the pictures, I find it quite interesting that it looks like he flew it into the ground. You know, maybe the ground came up and met with him, but it was certainly, it was a very, uh, a very uh, good ground contact. You know, it was pretty flat, looked like the airplane slid along and then ended up in the, in amongst of a couple of trees, three, three trees, I think. Uh, and fortunately, the wings broke off early, the fuel all was behind them and there was no fire. So they had a lot going for them for this. So they were very, very lucky in that regard. It may take a year or more before the details come out, especially the public docket type information that would have things such as the narrative given by the pilots to the FAA and the NTSB. And until that happens, it'll be a, a pure speculation to say what might have happened before a touchdown. So we're gonna focus on what happened at the point of contact and beyond. Uh, one of the things that was very positive about this was that the first responders came fairly quickly. And this, as we said, was on a golf course. And many of the golf course staff directly assisted the first responders. Uh, they were using golf carts to help transport people to and from the crash site. So this was a, a, a fairly quick response by all involved. And again, a very positive outcome because apparently some of the dogs had uh, escaped from their carrying cases. But again, they were quickly rounded up and uh, taken care of. And we're happy to report that uh, they were all put in shelters and some of them were were uh, adopted. And there was quite a bit of media coverage around the country and even overseas. And there was uh, quite a bit of support locally and beyond to not only get these uh, animals adopted, but to, believe it or not, provide uh, psychological support services for these uh, dogs who might have been traumatized by this event. Not to mention the services I hope that the airline provides for the flight crew, because any time a flight crew is in this situation, no matter how well they handled it at the time, uh, this is something that is one would hope a once-in-a-lifetime experience for the three crew people who are on board, and they'll have to deal with this one way or the other, beyond the regulatory and legal side of it, for quite some time. And I hope that they uh, do get the uh, treatment and the counseling they need if they need it, and they get back to uh, to their careers as soon as possible. You know, that's that's an area that that we we have only like in the last 20 years have come to recognize, and that is what happens to the flight crews after an accident. And also it, it expends to the ground crews as well. I mean, I've seen some strange things happen uh, inside the hangar when the newspapers would have accused uh, on, on maybe insignificant or, or not enough information uh, accused maintenance of it, and the people involved with the maintenance of that particular airplane uh, took that pretty tough. I, I, I got a couple of them in my head right now. I'm thinking of where uh, where negative things had come out of. I know of at least uh, uh, two suicides that occurred from mechanics that, that had involvement in plane crashes in which people died. 
And uh, I, I know of other people who left the industry because they were involved in plane crashes where people died. So it's, it's uh, you've got the psychological effects on the crew, the surviving crew. Uh, you've got it on family members too, which we never focus on. And you got it on other people in aviation that may be responsible. You could have people that misloaded the airplane. That's caused more than one accident. You know, maintenance has caused an awful lot of accidents uh, over the years. So uh, those are areas that we, we've, we've come to recognize in the last 20 years. And I don't think that we're doing a good enough job of dealing with those issues yet. And although I don't see it happening yet, I'm sure that over time there might be some quarters who might have an issue with the whole aspect of why are people doing this anyway? Why are people transporting dogs across thousands of miles just to be adopted? Isn't this a humongous waste of resources, a first world 1% type of issue that's just ridiculous that we're in this position to, to begin with? Now, of course, there's plenty of uh, argument to be made for and against this process, but uh, this is something that at least in the case of the organizations in the Milwaukee area who are involved in this, they've been doing this on a regular basis. By their own accounts, they have a couple of uh, you know trips a month coming from one part of the country to the other, usually by, by ground, but this time by air. So this is a regular thing happening across the United States, and uh, at least, I'm not sure about other countries, where animals are being transported uh, by air and by ground. Now, as it turns out, Starting about eight years ago, the Department of Transportation required any Part 121 certificate holder, that is an airline flying an aircraft with 60 seats or more, to actually report any time an animal, either as cargo or in a passenger cabin, is killed as a result of a flight. Now, in this case, this operator is not a Part 121 operator, would not have been required to report this even if there had been a tragedy on board. But uh, this shows you that on the regulatory side, there is a recognition that the safety of animals is something that is high enough of importance that it's tracked for some flights, but not all. And this incident shows you that while it's laudable that it's done for larger aircraft, there might be quite a bit of Part 135 and other operators who are flying animals back and forth who would not be required to report events. So there might be false... Uh, a set of not a false information, but there might be less of a recognition of a potential problem if these kinds of things aren't reported. So this is an argument in part, if you are involved in an organization that's doing this, either as a recipient of these animals or you're actually managing this, uh, keep in mind that if you're trying to look for the safety records of a uh, flight operation when it comes to transporting animals, most of them are not required to report any past events. Yeah, I could, you know, even 30 years ago when I was still working for the airlines, I can remember m many, many times uh, animals showing up in in uh, proper containers. And you could tell whether it was a passenger's uh, container or if it was a commercial entity, because usually the commercial entities uh, used to higher priced uh, containers and the tags that were on them. You know, a passenger's uh, dog would have a baggage tag type tag, but uh, one that came from one of the commercial uh, breeders would have a different set of tags on it, so you could recognize it immediately. And I, re I remember, I mean, it was commonplace. Every day you would see uh, containers with animals in them. 
and uh, and we've had some. I can remember a, a dog that died on an airplane because uh, uh, the ramp personnel made a mistake on loading the, the dog in the wrong location because there are specific locations on the airplane in the cargo compartment to put uh, animals, live animals. So they made a mistake and uh, the dog perished. And, and I can remember there was a big to-do because it was, at that time, it was like a $15,000 animal. So I, and I was taken back by how much how much the value was. But uh, they have a lot of high value animals lying around on airplanes from point A to point B in these containers. So one of the things that the passenger airlines do right now is that if you have your passenger with an animal and you're not able to keep the animal in the cabin, you have to put the animal in in cargo. Uh, some of them have rules. It's like, oh, there are certain parts of the country where at certain times of the year we simply won't fly your animal. So if you want to fly on an airliner to uh, Phoenix during the summertime and the animal has to be in cargo, most airlines will say, no, we're not going to do it. And part because of the obvious potential safety issues, especially if the animal, like the other baggage, is left out on the tarmac for a couple hours in the sun. And the other thing being, uh, frankly, it's uh, a bad PR if you have this notice put in a public database for everyone to look at. And off the top of my head, the last time I remember a serious event where several animals were killed, this was a not a regular airline flight. This was a charter flight, I believe, with military families flying into a, an airport in uh, Florida. And the aircraft went off the runway into the water. All the passengers got out OK, but several animals who were in the cargo hold were killed. Yeah, you know, it's funny you're saying that about the heat. Uh I, I still have the scar tissue on parts of my body that I, I got yelled at myself and another guy, a ramp, a baggage handler. Uh, at the last minute, a dog came out in a cage going in a container to go in the belly of the airplane. And it was obvious that the dog was very, very thirsty. And, and uh, so we held the container when one of us, he did, the other guy ran and got some water and we, we, uh, watered the dog before he got in the container, uh, be before we put the container inside the airplane. And uh, we ended up taking a couple of minute delay on the airplane, which anybody who works for an airline knows that they measure those first few minutes very closely. So uh, that was in the morning, you know, noon noonish. And uh, before we got off our shift, we had a talk to about our delay for giving water to the dog. But uh, it came back and uh, and reversed itself a short time later. I won't get into all of that, but but uh, yeah, we see dogs all the time, and that that heat putting them on the airplanes, putting them out on the ramp. Not to mention the noise. Some dogs absolutely cannot stand that high pitched noise from the airplanes. So you not only have the airplane that you're putting the the animal on with the usually with the APU screaming away. But then you have other airplanes moving around, which is more high frequency noise. And uh, some dogs or cats or, or other critters really go crazy with that noise. So it's 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 an interesting adventure transporting animals on airplanes. And frankly, uh, one of the reasons why I suggested to John that we do this one was that uh, this is the kind of story because it's a very positive story for one and because it had animals that might 
get the attention of the audience in ways that a normal accident wouldn't. And that we look at all the accidents the same. That is, there are certain issues that happen, usually has very little or nothing to do with whether they're cargo or the kind of passengers who are on board. But there is a massive difference in the kind of attention that we can get with um, talking about an event if there's something otherwise attractive about it. Was it one that involved a person who's well-known? Was it one that involved an issue that uh, you know pulls at the heartstrings of the audience, of which this is one? Or is it something that happens to be an event where we had a particular set of insights about it because of either personal experiences with that event or people around it, or with experience with that kind of operation or that kind of aircraft? So again, uh, you know, we're not going to do feel-good stories every time, nor are we going to do every animal story that comes across. But this is one of the ones where we thought there were a lot of issues being raised. And even though it's early in the process, it'll be informative to our audience to hear about this now. And not to mention the quantity of dogs on the airplane. That is unusual. Over 50 animals, that is unusual. So, okay, we will keep everybody informed in the future. And since it's only you and I, the hat to you, you can, you can uh, take the last comment. Well, uh, my last word is that, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing where, like I said before, sometimes there's a personal aspect to it. And when I saw this and having been uh, someone where we had to get a rescue animal flown up to us, I couldn't help but think back to five years ago, but our first time seeing Gidget back here. And she's been an integral part of the family ever since. And she's flown several times with us since. So, uh, you know, if there's something that comes from this that makes this kind of flight safer for other rescue dogs, it'll be a positive outcome. Yes. And speaking of safer, I, I've noticed a number of, uh, of GA accidents this week. And I just like to remind everybody that if you're out renting airplanes to get yourself some rental insurance, protect yourself and your family in the event you damage an airplane, because suddenly you could find yourself 150 or $200,000 in debt because you, you broke somebody's airplane and you don't have insurance. Don't assume that the people you rent the airplane from uh, have coverage for your operation of the airplane. So it's it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, you know, Avemco sponsors us, so I'll plug Avemco on, on getting the insurance, but, you know, protect yourself. And if you are going to go flying, please do a good pre-flight of your airplane, good planning before you even get to the airport, that pre-flight's important, and I have I have found, and you know I don't know the exact number, but clearly in the teens already, without hardly looking, of airplanes where the accident could have prevented with a good pre-flight, there was pre-existing conditions that led to the accident. The airplane had been flying around and missed and missed and missed during pre-flights until finally it it come to roost, come home to. Uh, they said the chickens come home to roost. And uh, so please do a very thorough pre-flight. If you don't know the airplane, not familiar with it, get somebody, get a mechanic to help you walk and do a walk around on the airplane. And then after you take off, put that head on a swivel. You know, we just have this event in, in uh, Texas where two really good airplanes, you know, a P-63 and a B-17, uh, nice airplanes 
and we got we killed five or six people uh, because of visibility issues. Clear day, clear day, but you could see the the, the way the airplanes came together and the in the uh, the way the one airplane was twisted with the left wing down. His own airplane blocked the other airplane right out, and uh, and the consequences were were cat, you know catastrophic. So please put that head on a swivel, pay attention to what's around you. You know you have blind spots on airplanes, recognize them. You know and wiggle your airplane around so you can see in the in the blind spots occasionally. All right. So with that, please please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at Avemco.com or give them a call at 888 888- 879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives and remember to always fly safe.